Well, church, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, I am Alex, and hey, cool, free Bible. Um, my name's Alex. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. Good to be with you guys. Um, we've been walking through this series called Family Matters for the last uh, five weeks now. And, and as we talk about, you know, Ricky talked about how our birthday's coming up, but really we just wanted to talk about, hey, who are we? What matters to us as City Light South Church? And so we walked through our vision statement and we said, we desire to be a family to belong to, a family to grow with, and a family to go with. And so we walked through those over the last four weeks. And today we're going to be talking about how all of those should fuel us and continue to encourage us to move forward to multiply disciples. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be a family that multiplies. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about track and field because it's the greatest sport in the world. And it indoor track season just started over the last couple of weeks. But um, in track, there's several races that are called relays, right? So if you don't know anything about track and field, there's these relays where four people come together to be a team, and they run the same distance or different distances, depending on what race it is, and they hand this baton off to one another. Once they run the distance, then they give it to the next person, and they run the next uh, round around the track, whether it's a short distance like a four-by-one, four-by-four, four-by-eight, whatever it is, right? They're passing off this baton. And as I ran track in college, I was just curious why my teammates spent so much time working on their exchanges, working on the handoff. So as I started asking questions to some of the guys who were sprinters, they said that the exchange is actually the most important and crucial part of the race. And I'm like, okay, why is that? And they said, well, there's an exchange zone on the track. If you look, there's kind of these triangles that says, if you don't hand off the baton between this time, it doesn't count. You're disqualified. And if you drop the baton or if you step into someone else's lane for more than three steps, you're also disqualified. And so as I was thinking about our passage this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, right, and, and uh, committing to faithful men to teach others also, I really got this illustration kind of rolling in my mind that as we walk with Christ as believers, that we're passing the baton off to the next generation of believers, that, right, that we're walking with people who love Jesus and training them up, and we're saying, hey, the baton is yours, now you go, you run. It's your turn to multiply disciples, to walk with other people, to share Christ, to teach and equip and encourage. And if we don't do that, if we don't multiply disciples, right, what happens? It's kind of like the baton being dropped, Right? It's like fumbling the baton and being disqualified from the race, and we don't get to pass it on to finish the race, to keep moving forward the kingdom of God. So as we keep running towards others in Christ, as we uh, talk about being a family that multiplies, I get this image of us just as a church family continuing to pass the baton off to one another to see the kingdom of God continue to move forward, to multiply disciples, and to see Jesus continue to do more and more in the life of his people. And so what is at stake is the multiplication of God's people the kingdom being advanced, more people coming to know and see Jesus and growing up in maturity and faith, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and expanding and going out, right, as Ricky talked about, going to the ends of the earth and to our neighbors and to our coworkers and our families and sharing Christ with them, but not just leaving them there, but walking with them, training them, equipping them, encouraging them, and then passing off the baton and saying, it's your turn. Now you go. 
You keep running after other people. And so today in 2 Timothy 2.2, we're going to see the multiplication of believers in three movements, right? We're going to see first the grace for multiplication. Then we're going to see the problem with multiplying disciples. And then finally, we'll see the process of multiplying disciples. And so before we dive into the first verse, uh, I want to give some context to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to, guess who? Timothy, his dear friend. As we walk through the book of Acts, um, as we've been doing that for uh, quite some time, we'll get back into it next week, but we're about to come up on the story where Paul's introduced to Timothy, and we get to see their life together. And so we'll see how these two men did ministry together here just in a few weeks, which I'm super excited about. But he writes the letter to Timothy, a dear friend. He calls him a son in chapter one. He knows the name of his grandma and his mother in chapter one as well. And so we see that they have this clear relationship, and he gives him this final letter to just encourage him as he's a young pastor, to continue to uh, just point him to Jesus and say, hey, don't forget the race is still going. Endure in the suffering and just keep running after Jesus, right? So it's this encouragement. This actually is Paul's last letter before he dies. So this is a final encouragement to Timothy to say, keep running after the king. And so that's what we'll see uh, in 2 Timothy today. So if you would, please open your Bibles up to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 1 to see the grace for multiplying. It says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You therefore, my son, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we see this clear relationship between the two of them, right? He calls them his son. That means there's deep intimacy between them each, that they love each other. Like I said, he he remembers his mom and his grandma's name. He's gotten to walk with him for a lot as they've done ministry, as they've shared the gospel, as they've pursued people. And so there's this clear connection. And Paul says, my son in the faith, my dear friend, My brother, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is trying to share with Timothy is don't forget Christ. Like be strong in the grace that he's given to you because Jesus is our strength. Jesus is what leads you to continue to press on in the good race, in the fight to fight, right? As in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, we read that Paul says to Timothy, he says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. So how is Timothy supposed to be strong? How is he supposed to uh, walk through suffering, right? It's through the power of God. And so Paul just continues to remind him, remember the grace that was given to you. Remember the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in you. That will sustain you. That will give you strength to continue to run. And then in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, he continues on. He says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Right? He's, he's giving this huge reminder to be strong in the faith, but remember the strength is not yours, Timothy. Remember where the strength comes from. It's all from the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you that's going to totally continue to move you forward to press on in the good fight, in the race, and in what God is doing in his kingdom. Right? 
to press on and endure in the suffering that he may be probably going through, as we see. He says, remember the strength that is in Christ Jesus. But why does Paul care about this so much? Why does he care so much about Timothy holding on to that strength or protecting the gospel and guarding the good deposit, right, as he talks about? Well, it's because he knows that the gospel has the power to save. He knows that the gospel uh, is continuing to move forward. He knows that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that more people should hear about this king and what he's done. And so he says, guard the good deposit. Be strengthened by this and keep running forward on mission to multiply disciples. Keep running after people so that Jesus would save more people. And that same grace that was given to Timothy, that was given to Paul, that same grace is given to us today. That Jesus' death on the cross was also for us, that if we look to him and see him as our Savior and Lord, if we come to understand our sin, that we are far from God, and yet through Christ's work on the cross and resurrection, that we can have eternal life with him. That that's a free gift that God just hands over us, and he says, come to me, see who I am. And that's the grace that we get to take in and say, yes, please, thank you, Jesus, because I couldn't do it on my own. That he steps into lives of people who are broken, and he makes them whole. And he walks with people in the mess, and he says, I'm here for you. That he's redeemed all of the sin that we've ever committed through his death and resurrection and wiped away sin and death for us so that we can have eternal life with him. This is the grace that's given to us. This is the grace that leads to multiplication because when we truly understand the grace that's been given to us, like Timothy, like Paul, we want to share that with others, right? This grace is what propels us forward to go, I need to tell you about what Jesus has done for me. And you need to see what he's also done for you. And so this grace that God's given to us, Jesus has given to us, is supposed to be passed on, right? From Paul to Timothy to others to us today. Jesus is the reason why we multiply. Jesus is the person of multiplication because we just want more to see who he is, right? Because we've experienced the grace that's been given to us through the death and resurrection of Christ, that we have a free gift of eternal life, and we can continue to share that with others so that they would know Jesus, so that they would come to life in Christ Jesus, because he's the God of multiplication. He's the reason for multiplication, and he gives us the grace for multiplication. And so Paul shares that with Timothy, and he says, remember that grace. Be strengthened by that grace. Keep running forward after other people so that they would see the grace that's before them. And so trusting in Jesus and having a life with Christ fills us with his Holy Spirit to endure in the race to run and continue to run, right? But in terms of multiplying disciples, right, as we talk about multiplying disciples, I think there's been a problem in the church over the last 20, 30 years that we've maybe missed the mark on some things. And we maybe missed the point on some things. And so let's read verse 2 to talk about the problem of multiplying disciples. What you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In Matthew chapter 28, after Jesus' resurrection, he gives what we call the Great Commission, right? 
verses 18 to 20, read this. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. It, I, think it, I think the stats like 70% of people who go to churches say they've never heard of the Great Commission or they don't know what it is. So I just read it to you guys and I'm telling you. So now all of City Light South knows what the Great Commission is. Praise the Lord. Yay. Um, but in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, right, we see Paul kind of living out the Great Commission. As we read the book of Acts, we see Paul living out the Great Commission. That he goes, he proclaims, he tells people about Jesus. They come to faith. He, he gets to baptize people and as a proclamation of their faith in Christ. And in verse two, we see he's living out the teaching, right? He says, what you have heard from me. It just corresponds with the words that Jesus gives to the disciples. He says, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And so Paul passes that on to Timothy. Do you see what's going on here? He's doing exactly what Jesus has commanded him to do. He's following the great commission, and Paul entrusts Timothy then to continue doing the same thing. In verse 2, how many generations of believers are there? How many generations of people are maybe in, uh, in verse 2? We see there's Jesus, right? Because without Jesus, there's no salvation. Uh, so Jesus to Paul, to Tim Timothy, to faithful men, to others also, that's five generations of believers, five generations of people who have said, I'm going to invest in one another and share the gospel and continue to move the mission and the kingdom of God forward. And because those generations continued to go, because they were faithful to go and proclaim the gospel, to baptize and to teach others to observe what Christ had commanded, disciples were multiplied over and over and over again. And we sit in this very room because there were people who committed to faithful people who taught others also. That's why we sit in this room today. So my question for us is, have we been doing that same thing? Are we joining in the mission to multiply disciples, to commit to faithful men and women, and to teach them what Jesus has commanded us, to continue to raise them up and see Jesus do a great work, not just in the life of our church, but in our town, in our city, to the ends of the earth? Because I think there's maybe been a problem in the American church over the last several years. We've lost sight of what the mission is, and it's become about getting big, right? It's become about these huge, massive places where people just come, and they sit in a room, and they sing some songs, and they hear a sermon, and then they leave, and that's it. Or it's become very program-heavy where we have stuff for everyone to do and just kind of get involved and to be a part of something small, but never, has it, or never was it really investing in one another, and over the last several years, I feel like we've lost sight of the mission that Jesus has sent us on, which was to go and make disciples, right? Not just to gather in some building, but to actually invest in one another, to proclaim Christ to each other, to equip each other, and to spend time with each other, and then send one another out to see Jesus continue to use one another over again in moving the Great Commission forward. We talked about it last week, right? Or two weeks ago, how we want to grow in Christ together as a family, how we have a family to grow with and mature in Christ together. And last week, Ricky really talked about out and wanting to continue to go out and be a family that goes together to the ends of the earth, to neighbors and friends and family who don't know Jesus. And out of all of that, right, when, people, when we see people come to faith, we want to invest in them. 
We, we've been content with seeing big baptism celebrations and then not walking alongside those new believers and just letting them kind of sit in the infant stages. But we're called to make disciples, right? We've loved the first half of the Great Commission for decades and seeing people come to know Jesus. But we've kind of forgotten the second part to actually invest in them, to teach them what Jesus has commanded. We, we've held firm what it means to say, yes, Jesus is Savior and Lord, and we've said following Jesus, that's optional. Right? There, there's these moments where we've just kind of dropped the ball off and said, this half, foundational. This part, eh, we'll leave it for later. But Jesus wants to use us to be on mission with him, to continue to go on this great commission that he sent us on. Oswald Chambers, he, he said that the number one goal of the devil is to keep a believer useless. The number one goal of the devil is to keep a believer useless. Sounds like coming into a church and singing some songs and hearing a sermon and then walking out and then leaving, right? Right? Friends, Jesus didn't say it was optional. Paul didn't believe it was optional. Timothy didn't believe it was optional. Throughout all of Jesus' life in the Gospels, we see him invest in 12 people, right? And then even more so, he invests in Peter, James, and John. He, he stays with them, and then he sends them out. This thread of multiplying is all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout the Bible. Think of God's interaction with Adam. At the very beginning, what's he tell him? Be fruitful and multiply. Then what's he say to Noah? The same exact thing. Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, their multiplying was maybe a little different, uh, but hey, we're still multiplying disciples. You and your families, you're multiplying disciples, and we're also multiplying disciples by sharing the faith and investing in one another as well. Uh, but then it continues on, right, with Abraham. I will multiply you greatly. God just takes it from them and says, then I'm going to do it in Genesis 17. Then he promises the same thing to all of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. And then it's passed on to us, the church, in the book of Acts, right? The people of God, that he would use the church and he says, come do this with me. Co-mission, to do it with God, to be on mission with Jesus himself as he saves more people. And then in the epistles, right, in the New Testament, we see it deeply involved in the life of the church, we see it lived out. Titus chapter 2, Paul commands the older women to train up the younger women. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells fathers to train their children in the ways of God. Hebrews chapter 3, the writer commands all Christians to exhort one another and to build each other up every day. Peter, Paul, all the authors, this was hardwired into them, and they knew that we were called to go and make disciples, to use our gifts, to build one another up, to invest in each other so that Jesus would then continue to send us out, not so that we would just come to church, hear some sermons, and then walk out of the building, but to multiply the church of Jesus Christ, to invest in one another. Friends, we don't multiply and make disciples to earn God's love, but we multiply from God's love. We see Jesus for who he is and what he's done in our own life, and we go forward because we want to see him do that in other people's lives, because we want to commit to other faithful believers and see Jesus raise them up and then send them off, and we want to pass the baton on so Jesus would continue to do more, so that Jesus would be made big in the life of our city. Discipleship is not optional. Multiplying disciples is not optional. 
Think of the human body, right? There's this process called uh, mitosis. I learned some biology this last week. But there's five phases to to this uh, process of mitosis. And over time, over these phases, once the five phases are complete, what's the cell do? It multiplies itself, and it replicates itself. And over and over again, it continues to happen. God hardwired multiplication into our DNA, literally into our bodies. It's wild to just sit here and think about that. And that's what we do as a church, to continue to multiply disciples and churches, to see Jesus do more and more. And there may be some of you who are sitting in this room who are thinking, I need someone who's older, who knows their Bible more, who's wiser than I am, to sit with me and disciple me before I go make disciples. Right? Like there's some of us in the room who kind of think, I can't do it. I need someone else to teach me, and then I can go do it. That would be amazing. I would love if that could happen. But the reality is, is let's just grab each other and run. Let's just continue to grab people in our city groups, or or if you're not plugged into a city group, get plugged into a city group and say, hey, can I join a huddle? How can we get in a huddle? Let's invest in each other and start diving into God's word together. Let's pray for each other. Let's encourage each other to keep going forward, to press on to what Jesus has done, right? To see the God of the universe use us right now to invest in one another and to be raised up to then be sent out and to pass the baton on. We don't have to wait until someone who's older and wiser and maybe knows the Bible better than us to sit here with us. But you can ask questions together. Over the last several weeks with my huddle, we've had questions. And as we've studied 1 Samuel, that we're like, I don't know the answers. And so all four of us together are like reading commentaries trying to figure out what the, what the meaning of the scripture is together. God's using that time. It doesn't just have to be with people who are older and wiser and know the Bible better, but you can invest in one another, multiply disciples within, with people who are even at the same stage of life or same stage of, of walking with Jesus as you. God uses those moments, and he uses each other to make disciples, right? What happens if 20 years from now, we as a church family don't multiply ourselves? Will the kids in our kids' ministry ever hear the gospel? Will they ever come to faith in Christ? Do they have examples of what multiplying disciples and discipleship looks like? Do we as a church continue to run after the lost? Do we see baptisms and Jesus saving more people if we don't multiply disciples? Or do we just see a community of people who live in the same area of town gather on Sunday mornings? Friends, this is crucial to invest in one another and invest in the next generation. 2 Timothy 2.2 says that faithful men are invested in, right? Are we faithful people? Are you faithful? Or are we just consumers who stand by, who come to just enjoy something? But Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use each and every single one of you for his kingdom and for his glory to see more people come to know him and grow in maturity with him and be sent out to then go make more disciples, to see actual life change and transformation in someone's life. God wants to use us for that. So if we're called to make disciples, right? If that's the great commission that God is sending us on to invest in people, what's the process? How do we multiply disciples then? 
Well, let's read verses 3 to 6, and we'll see what the process of multiplying disciples is. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get the share of the crops. So Paul gives us three examples of maybe what it looks like to be a believer and multiply disciples, right? To invest in someone else. And first he gives the soldier. The soldier is not distracted by anything around them. They know what their mission is and they go forward. They're not distracted by anything that's going around in civilian moments, but they press forward on the mission that their commanding officer has sent them on. So for us as followers of Christ, are, are we distracted Or are we pressing forward to the actual mission that Jesus has sent us on? Do we have sight of what the mission is? Are we distracting ourselves with so many other things? Right? What what would you think of a soldier whose commanding officer told him he needed to go fight? But the soldier said, no, I'm too busy. I don't want to be in that room with that commanding officer and that soldier. I've heard stories of boot camp. Doesn't sound very fun. What about standing before God? And he asks you, how did you multiply disciples? And you say, I'm sorry, Jesus. I was just too busy. That's not what we want. That's not what I want. I want to be able to tell Jesus and stand before him and say, Jesus, I I tried to be as faithful as I could to multiply disciples, and I I desire to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not about trying to earn our salvation. We know that our salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus. This is not trying to earn your favor with God, right? Multiplying disciples doesn't lead you to earn God's love, but we multiply disciples from God's love, like we said earlier. But Jesus has sent us on a mission. Are we distracted? Are we pressing forward toward the kingdom to invest in others? The second example that Paul gives us is the athlete. The athlete has integrity, right? That they're motivated to obey the rules in order to continue the race and finish and earn their crown, their prize. There's someone who denies themselves in order to compete as they should. Think of athletes. They deny themselves when they're in season and probably say, I probably shouldn't eat that cookie. That probably wouldn't be good for me if I have a big race tomorrow. And so they continue to eat a little healthier and they discipline themselves and discipline their body to say, I need to go practice to make sure I get time out to keep pressing on so I can continue being in shape. And they have high integrity to follow the rules that are in place in whatever event or uh, sport that they're doing, right? That's the athlete. And so we as believers can learn from that and go, are we being disciplined to press on in our own relationship with Christ, right? But to also be disciplined to keep running after the mission that Christ has sent us on, to have integrity, to be people who who obey the commandments that God has given to us, to live a holy lifestyle, to press forward toward Jesus. 
This is what he's telling us here, to be obedient and to see Jesus for who he is, to actually invest and know what the mission forward is, to not be distracted, to be disciplined in ourselves, to have high integrity, to deny ourselves of things, right? The athlete denies themselves of that cookie even though they want to eat it, to deny ourselves of the two hours of binge-watching Netflix so we can invest in high school students on Wednesday night. To deny ourselves so we can totally give up an extra hour on Sunday morning to share the gospel with young kids who are in our very church. Friends, this is the mission that God has sent us on. To press forward. To invest in the next generation. To care about others and say, I want to multiply disciples and see Jesus work in their life. The farmer who works hard, who reaps the reward, right? They harvest, or they they plant, they seed, they water. They work all season, and then they get to reap the harvest. It's like us, when we invest in other people, we get to see Jesus change lives. And we get to reap that reward of seeing, man, God used me to spend time with this person, and now they're multiplying disciples, and now they're moving forward. What an honor. God didn't have to use us, but he he does. He says, come with me on this mission. And so those are the three examples that Paul gives, but I feel like there's an even better example in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, we get this verse where it's Jesus appointing them as apostles, but it doesn't just stop there. It says this. He says, he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority and to drive out demons. This is how Jesus makes disciples. What's he do? He identifies with them, right? He gives them a a, a mission. He calls them apostles, which means it's the sent out ones, right? He spends time with them. It says he's with them to be with him. After he invests in them and teaches them and equips them, what's he do? Sends them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He gives them his power, What's the power? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He not just gives us the power of the Holy Spirit, but he gives us himself, that the Spirit dwells with us as believers. This is how Jesus multiplies disciples. He brings them to himself, invests in them, spends time with them, and then sends them out to go and do the same thing. And that's what we desire to see here at South. To spend time with each other, to invest in one another, and to be sent out to multiply disciples to see Jesus use us, to spend time and see God move radically in someone's life. We don't have the perfect format or the perfect way to multiply disciples. This is just what we feel that the Lord could use and is using in the life of our church. And I talked about huddles a little bit, and Ryan's going to put up the huddle document, I think, right behind me, just to talk about huddles a little bit. But a huddles are regularly, or a huddles are three to five people, same gendered, who meet regularly, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly, who invest in one another to multiply Christ-centered disciples. Huddles are to equip people, right, to teach them how to live with Christ. They're to engage, or, uh, give them experience in leading. There's a moment where whoever's leading the huddle should turn and say, hey, now it's your turn. You start leading to give them experience and what it means to, to lead, to engage, continue to engage the lost together and engage other people, send them out and say, go engage more people. And in huddles, we use this acronym. 
right? If you're wondering, well, what do we do in a huddle? What's a huddle actually look like? We've been talking about them for the last like four or five weeks. What does that actually look like? Well, we use this acronym when we teach our city group leaders what a huddle could potentially look like. And we use this word grow. We use the word grow. And so the G is God's word. So you spend time uh, either talking about where you've been reading over the last week, about what God's teaching you in his word, and you hold each other accountable to spending time in God's word, or you read it together, right? You sit there and you read it there. My huddle does both. We talk about where we've been reading, and then we read uh, 1 Samuel together and spend some time dialoguing about that. The second one, the R, means repentance, to actually confess sin to one another, to say, hey, there's, there's something going on and I need to confess this. And then to hold each other accountable as the weeks continue to go on to repent from that sin and say, how are you doing with that struggle? How are you doing in the midst of that? Right? That's what we see in repentance. The O means outreach. Ricky talked about uh, outreach last week and engaging the lost and praying for the lost and this challenge that we've given to everyone in our church to, uh, to ask the question, who's your one? Who's the one person that you're praying for this year and that you're engaging with and pursuing and sharing Christ with in hopes that Jesus would save them? So this is a moment where you ask each other, who is your one? How can we pray for them? How can we come alongside you in, in engaging them and in, in running after them so that Jesus would potentially save them? The last one is the W, what's up? It's kind of the easiest one, right? You ask each other, how was your week? This one can quickly be a distraction though because you can just kind of turn into a social club and just start talking about your week the whole time. Now, this one also leads to crucial moments where you have to sit there and go, okay, actually we have to spend time like talking about this and you get to mourn together and you get to pray over each other. You get to celebrate and rejoice in what God's doing. Uh, but again, don't let this one completely just take over and be uh, uh, an actual like social club because you still want to grow in Christ together. And so what I do with my huddle is I just ask the simple question, what was, your, what was the best part of your week and the worst part of your week? And so it allows for those moments to go, hey, there was something really hard that happened. Or it just allows to be caught up on what God's doing in their life that week. And you can keep moving towards uh, the other things. Sometimes there'll be times where you meet with your huddle and you don't get through them all and that's okay. God still uses that. And then the very last thing uh, with huddles is that they continue to multiply, right? We don't just continue to gather and gather forever and you're always a huddle for the rest of your life that you are a part of City Light South Church and you live in South Lincoln, right? No, we want to see multiplication happen. Uh, but I believe uh, that one of the most crucial parts of walking with Jesus is to be faithful, right? As, as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, commit to faithful men. Commit to faithful people. And so I tell my huddle this at the very beginning. Not all huddles do this, but I tell my guys, Matt, Taylor, and, and Travis, I, I expect them to be faithful, to be available, to be teachable. And then we sign like a piece of paper together that we say, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to commit to each other and saying, we're going to be faithful to, the, to like walking with Jesus ourselves. And we're going to be available and commit to actually walking together and, and spending time and making the time to actually come to huddle every Saturday morning. And we're going to be teachable and humble in the moments where we don't know answers or where we, when we are in sin to say, okay, maybe I am. I need to repent of that right? This is something that I ask them, and we commit to each other and say, we're going to be faithful, available, and teachable. And then in about 18 months, I tell them, we're going to be gone. I love you guys so much, but we're going to multiply. And I'm going to hand the baton off, and it's your turn to run. 
It's your turn to go find other men to invest in. Because my hope is that by the end of those 18 months, we've gotten to a point to where we're able to grow in Christ together and we have an understanding and how to walk with Jesus. We have an understanding of how to continue to repent and confess of our sin, an understanding of how to continue to engage the lost and pursue the lost and to actually walk in life with one another as we talk about hard things and celebrate beautiful things. This is what we want to see in the life of our church as we continue to invest in each other and multiply disciples and then say, now it's your turn. Keep going. Keep running after others. Our method's not perfect. It's not the only way to do it, but God's used it. And multiplying doesn't just happen with huddles right? We want to see multiplication happen in city groups where leaders are invested in, where leaders are saying, hey, now you take it, you get some experience actually leading the group, understanding the, the behind the scenes with leading a city group, and then getting to the point to where you send them out to multiply into the neighborhood and saturate the neighborhood with the gospel community, which then leads to planting churches because people will be raised up to plant churches and see another church saturate another neighborhood, another part of the city, another town, another state, another country, just be continually saturated with the good news of Christ Jesus. This is why we multiply. To see Jesus do something absolutely crazy in the life of others. To see him change lives and transform hearts. Not so that we could build some brand I don't multiply just to multiply City Light South, but I multiply to make Jesus-centered disciples. There's a, a guy that I met about two and a half years ago. His name is Travis. And he walked into our city group for the very first time. We were a new city group at the time. And we're sitting down and we're asking each other, hey, what's your name? What do you do for a living? We're just trying to get to know one another. And he said, I'm Travis. Uh, I probably won't say much here because I'm pretty new to this stuff, but I'm here. A couple months go by, and Travis actually speaks up at Citigroup quite a bit. So I ask him, hey, do you want to join a huddle with me and my buddy Chip? He says, yeah, let's, let's do it. So we get together, and we start reading uh, through a book called Gospel Fluency, and we're uh, maybe halfway through the book, and we get to a point to where Travis tells Chip and I, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not gospel fluent. And so Chip and I were like, what? And we kind of go into like quick evangelism mode. We just literally like dropped everything we were doing and we just started sharing the gospel kind of left and right in hopes that like God was about to do something in that conversation. And he did. But we walked away from that conversation and Travis took up the challenge to say, I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to start in Genesis and I'm going to read through the Bible to see what it actually says. And about four months later, I'm sitting at a Russ's Market with Travis, eating like this nice croissant breakfast sandwich. And we're having a conversation about an interaction he had with his wife. And he subtly slides it in there. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And he just keeps going on. And I had to stop. And I had to get, I'm like, are you telling me you just surrendered your life to Christ? Yeah, 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 I did, I did. When did that happen? It, oh, it was like two weeks ago or something like that. I was like, what? <laughs> and, and then God kept moving forward in the life of Travis because it didn't stop there. 
in about his first 18 months of knowing Christ, Travis read through the entire Bible. Some believers don't even do that in their entire life. And Travis has then since multiplied another huddle with me and leads City Group on Tuesday nights with us. And God's using him to invest in other people. This is why we multiply. Jesus did something radical in my life about five years ago where he saved me and transformed my heart and changed me. Jesus did something radical in the life of Travis where he moved him from death to life. And now Travis is sharing that with others too. He continues to multiply disciples. And he uses small communities of people to invest in others who were far from God to share the gospel with them, to equip them, and to send them out, and to see Jesus do more over and over and over again. So if you believe in Christ, if you've given your life over to him, he's given you the baton. Put your hand out with me. There it is. What are you going to do with it? Will you run? Keep pressing forward. Run the race. Let's pray.